Hey everyone, welcome back to Wanna Vibe. I'm Issa. I'm Abby. So we're clearly in time of financial crisis for many, many people around the globe. And we here at Wanna Vibe feel that discussing finances, the good, the bad, the ugly is super important. Finances can be scary, mostly because there's a lot of shame around them. And the only way to break the shame cycle is to talk about the matter. And with that, today's guest is Danny Pascarella. I think her Twitter bio line actually says it all. She's the founder and CEO of Invibed, and she writes, left Wall Street to help Americans break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle and afford their dream lives. Invibed is a wealth coaching service. So in the same way that you would hire like a personal trainer to get your body in shape, you hire them to get your finances in shape. But this is specifically targeted to like pre-financial planner finances. So like you and me finances, like we don't have millions of dollars to invest, but we have a little bit of money and we need to know how to use it and spend it wisely. Absolutely. This was recorded pre-pandemic, but the meat that we need is very much there. This is an important listen now more than ever, and we hope you enjoy it. See you later. Bye. Wanna Vibe is a podcast and resource speaking simply about all things wellness. We want to break down each topic and start from the beginning, avoiding the assumption that everyone knows the building blocks to a particular subject. The way we see it, wellness is all-encompassing of each aspect that affects our everyday lives. In addition to our faves like fitness and nutrition, this could mean anything from relationships to careers, finances, spirituality, and so much more. We are Abby and Issa. Wanna Vibe? parent about like I don't feel like we talk about money enough and therefore everyone's really confused all the time about like what's up what's down what I do with what and so we're just trying to like open that channel of communication so that it's not so like taboo to talk about even just before like side side note but like we were just talking about taxes and she's like this is the first year that I'm getting money back and I'm like yeah. And, I'm like, and I'm like, why weren't you before? And she was like trying to explain it to I me. I can't even really explain it other than that, like the tax bracket I was at was too high. And then in addition, like the way that my bonus is structured, like it's, it's mm-hmm. messed up. I can't explain it. But like this year I'm getting like $500 back, which is like, I feel like a millionaire. Yeah. But it's funny because like even <clears throat> uh, little things where this, I'm 32 years old. I've always just like handed my W-2 over to my parents and been like, here you go. And like, they bring it to their account and I've never had to like do anything. Right. And so then I got my W-2s. My dad's like, all right, so what do you do with it? I'm like, give it to you. (laughs) And he's like, Issa, what do you mean? Like, what would you do without me? And I'm like, well, what do I, what do I do with it? And he like, kind of like shamed me and made me feel bad that I didn't know. And I'm like, I've been doing this the whole, my whole fucking life that I've been working. I'm giving it to you. So now excuse me for asking a question. Cause this is like my norm. I didn't, I wasn't, I mean, I know I have to bring it somewhere to like fucking H and R block. I don't know. Don't but H&R block. I know, but I'm just saying like, if, if I didn't have my dad and his right. accountant, right. I would have to figure it out, but I never had to figure it out. So don't Most people me. have to figure it out at like 25. So consider yourself lucky. I know, yeah. but like, I don't, but I don't know. And I wish I yeah. did. And like, I don't want, there's no other way to know except for to ask. Yeah. So make it just stupid. And here's what's so messed up about it. Like the government is who makes this hard. Like at the yeah. IRS making this process difficult and just money and money management in general is difficult, but our school system does not adequately prepare us to do this. We are learning Greek mythology, yeah. parallelograms. Like, when are we ever going to use the majority so of true. Sure. We need to learn about taxes and budgeting yeah. and like self development and, you know, not like calculus. 
Exactly. You should be able to choose to learn calculus if you want to. It shouldn't be forced Mm -hmm. on you. Like if we're going to force anything on students, let it be the things that are actually going to help you be successful in life. And that's not the way it is now, which is so messed up. And that's why so many people think I'm so bad at money. How you just said, Issa, like shame. Like I felt this shame that I didn't know what to do. Yeah. That's like, you shouldn't feel that at all. Like the system failed you. And that's, that's the thing that's really messed up and people feel badly about it. Like, I don't know what to do. I must be bad at this. It must be something wrong with me. Right. What did I do wrong? You did nothing wrong. It's the, here's the thing. We've helped thousands of clients improve their financial situation the number one thing that determines how successful you are has nothing to do with how smart you are, how talented you are, how much money you make. It has everything to do with, did you happen to be lucky enough to be born into a family that sits you down and teaches mm. you this stuff? And when this moment occurred, when mom or dad tried to sit you down, were you at a place in your life where you were open to receive that message? Right. So the chances of those two things lining up together is like slim to none. Yeah. And that's also a big reason why the rich get richer. Mm-hmm. And part of my job, I, I used to work on Wall Street, but a big part of what they would have the younger analysts do like when I first started is help clients' kids become financially successful because wow. parents knew like, that my kid's not going to listen to me. Let's get yeah. like the young analysts out of school to sit down with you. So we would actually have events for like wealthy people's kids to like. Help oh, that's actually so genius. That okay. Is. Let's, let's pause. And we are here with Danny Pascarella. Is that right? Pascarella? Yes. Danny Pascarella. I get confused that I'm going to fuck up somebody's name. <laughs> um, who is the co-founder of Invibed. So Danny, take two seconds. Tell us who you are. Tell us about Invibed and what it is. Sure. So again, yeah, I'm Danny Pascarella. I'm the founder of InVibed. And what we do at InVibed is we help people who are in the early stage of their financial journey. So you've got a good job, you want to be successful, but you're not sure what those next steps are to take with money because it's you know, your first time dealing with it. So we help you break the paycheck to paycheck cycle, pay off any debt you have and start building wealth and saving for the future so that um, you can be successful throughout your life and reach all of your financial goals. Right. And we do that through um, a combination of things. Part of that is technology. So we have a whole proprietary platform. We sync all of your accounts and we give you a custom financial game plan that tells you exactly where you stand as well as what you need to do to improve your situation. Mm. We give you a full education. So short little like two minute videos. We text message them to you to make it super easy. Yeah. And I think of that as like everything they should teach you about money in school, but don't. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece is human accountability. Like mm-hmm. changing behavior is hard. Think about any time in your life you've tried to make a big change. Like it's not an easy thing. Yeah. So we give you human accountability partner. That's your wealth coach. They're going to follow, they're going to have regular appointments with you, reach out to you and just help you set goals and make sure that you stay on top of them and that you have that environment to actually be successful. Mm. I feel feel like we have the perfect um, trifecta of like conversation here because I've worked with you and imbibed and Issa is, has no idea. So like we're, our perspectives are like so different. Always. Um, Always. Yeah. But especially (laughs) in this conversation. So I think that like, this is going to be a really good one. Um, But we do like to start each episode, uh, each interview episode with like a little bit of background from Mm -hmm. you guys. Like we want to hear about like, have you always been like super money savvy? Were you like slinging lemonade by the gallon? (laughs) And like, were you like the babysitter of like the town, you know, or is this something like you said, like you had to learn, did your parents sit you down? Like, tell us. 
So my background, I, I have a mom who came to America like fresh in fresh into college, like 18, no family to help support her. She actually worked at the uh, the Bloomingdale's, um, you know, right in New York City to work her way through college. Wow. Where's um, she from? 59th Street? Um, 59th Street. Got it. Where's yeah. she come? Where's she from? So she's lived all around the world, like everywhere from the UK to Jamaica. Um, so wow. she traveled around a lot as a kid, but, you know, came here with no family, no money, put herself through school and was able to build, she actually majored in accounting and was able to build a really great life for herself as well oh, as, Seriously. Um, and retire like, you know, 10 years earlier than most people. Wow. And the way she did that is she learned how our financial system worked and she learned how to make money work for her. So imagine being the child of that, right? Like growing up um, as a little kid, like a little elementary school kid, um, my mom would be making dinner, uh, just a quick like heating some frozen veggies because like she just came home from the office and the TV, we had one TV because this was like the early 90s. So it was in the other room. She would actually send me say, hey, hey, Danielle, like I'll give you a cookie if you can run in the other room and tell me where like General Electric closed. Like what's the, wow. so I'd have to know what the stock ticker was to like translate oh my God. and then be like, GE, closed at this. And then I would be rewarded, rewarded with a cookie, which I realize is also how you train dogs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my childhood. It's very and, similar training dogs and training <laughs> kids. It really truly true. is. So yeah, so that, that's my childhood. So grew up in this, became a licensed stockbroker when I was 20 years old, mm-hmm. uh, worked through college in the industry um, through 2008 and the whole financial crisis while I was in school. And then after graduation, went to Wall Street where I worked at JP Morgan in their private bank which is basically managing money for like the uber rich. So the minimum amount of money you needed to invest with my team was $25 million. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. And we had like a a whole roster of just like billionaires that, you know, would work. Like how many people actually have that kind of money? Like it just. You'd be surprised. I was like. Dang. I did something wrong. No. You know what? Most billionaires, uh, inheritance is one of the biggest reasons why people get to that level. Right. So again, my well, ancestors did something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and everyone else. <laughs> yeah. So um, was working there, which was a uh, the coolest job ever to have. You know, in your twenties, learning that and seeing how the you know the richest of the rich operate and manage yeah. their money. And while I was there, there was this massive disconnect, right? My friends that I graduated with were all super smart, like wanted to be successful and had ambitions, but they were struggling to manage their money. And to me, it was something that came so intuitively, like I was just shocked to even see that people had trouble with this. Mm -hmm. So I started meeting friends for coffee and helping them out and just kind of like, you know, on a napkin, like this is what you need to do, Uh, referring them to books, websites, like all kinds of things I thought would help. Uh, and then word spread. They told their friends. And suddenly I had like more coffee requests on my calendar than like my t- schedule could support. And so I thought like, coffee, hey. coffee adds up. Were <laughs> you just doing this out of the kindness of your heart? Yeah. So I, I was wow. doing it out of the kindness of my heart. Then I thought, let's start with the children. So we started a group. It was actually called Bling It, um, where we went into inner city high schools and taught, um, you know, young students about money. Um, So we went to schools like Harlem Village Academies uh, here in New York City. And from there, um, just the, the magnitude of the problem just got bigger and bigger to me. And at a certain point, I you know, decided to leave Wall Street and start in Vibed to really bridge this gap. And the gap we found is that 
You have a lot of free apps. They're great, wonderful. If you're really, you know, you have a high level of confidence and competence in finance. Yeah. So if you understand it and you're self-motivated, like the app maybe it could work for you. It could help you with an area of your finances. But if you need more than that, like you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is a financial advisor. And to get a good advisor, you typically need about, you know, 250000 mm-hmm. in investable assets to get somebody that's, you know, decent to decently good for the most part. And there's this, if you look at the, the median net worth in the US, like it's about $100,000 and most of that is home equity. Mm-hmm. So you have most people who actually need help being priced out of the financial advisor market. Mm-hmm. So there's this big window in between of like young people that are, you know, they went to school, they're crushing it in their careers, they want to be successful here, but there's really nothing more for them than like, oh, maybe this app will help you with like one right. thing. Right. So that's where we come in and, and that's what Invive does is we, we bridge that cap gap to get getting you from where you are right now to where you want to be, which is crushing all of your financial goals and not really worrying about money ever. Yeah, I love that so much. What does Invibed mean? Yeah, so um, great question. Uh, Invibed, it's just it's basically investing with a cool vibe. Full disclosure, I'm a finance person, so my creativity is um, coming up with names is, is not you know fully there. And I just I came up with the name on a whim. And well, what I it love came, it. Yeah, I, I like it, yeah. it. Also, it works for our vibe too. Wanna yes, vibe with I love it. Oop, just name the episode. Boom, wanna vibe with an, oh, I love that. Um, but yeah, it came from actually at Harlem Village Academies when we were doing the, our nonprofit stuff there. We had a student come in who was like almost in tears. Like it was, I, I was like, what's wrong? What happened? And over the weekend, he actually tried to open a bank account. He was putting all of his money in a fishbowl that he was earning from like a little side hustle that he had. He went to the bank to try to open an account and they were like not nice to him. They're like, and he just had this horror story that he told us about how he was treated by the staff there and how he's like, I'm never going to a bank again. Like I like the fishbowl is good enough for me. And I was like, that's that's so messed up. Like we shouldn't treat people like their value as a human is like what their net worth is or how much money they have to put in their account. That's like, that's not cool. And that's not what we stand for. Um, So that was that moved me a lot at the time enough to really consider you know taking this into a full time career and building a business around it mm-hmm. and that's where like the whole vibe part of Invibe came in and that's really where I, I started to think of the name was from from that experience. Yeah, I love that. And you have a partner. That yes. Vibe? How did you guys meet? Like, how did you guys come together with this? Sure. So uh, she is uh, Corey is my partner. She has actually been my friend since high school. Nice. She is the most creative person I know. So where I say like I'm yeah. the finance person, I'm the reason why like all the financial stuff works and is correct. She's the reason people actually want to use and enjoy our products. So she's awesome. the creative one, and she came in a little bit later. So I tried to do this on my own. Like it was working, but I'm like I'm missing somebody who is like actually creative and like can can think about things in that way. And, and she was that person. And, and she has a background in like working at advertising agencies and doing copy editing. Um, so she was somebody that was the instant obvious choice for me to bring in. And she's my friend. So it, yeah. it was yeah. the blast. That makes sense together. because your platform is like, like you mentioned before, like you have these quick, like two minute videos, you text them to people. And then also you can, as a customer, you can log into your account and like see this dashboard that's like really laid out like very like almost not rudimentary because that sounds like bad but like it's just it's super easy to understand user-friendly yeah super user-friendly yeah Um, exactly that's what I feel like deters people too when it's like if you can't just navigate it yourself without having to like look at steps to what you're doing 
you get over automatically like shut yeah. down. You're yeah. Like, ah, and I'm not going to yeah. do this because I'm intimidating. Yeah. yeah. Intimidating. That's the word. Yeah. Um, I have a selfish question uh, oh. because you were talking about like learning money and how we basically don't learn money and how you started off like teaching schools. What, at what age do you think is like a good time mm. to start teaching your kids about money? And like, what is the best way to do that? That's a fantastic question. Um, it's totally selfish. I want to know for my own. <laughs> She's like, when should I start telling my son? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the earlier, the better. Um, with Because here's the thing. like, we're, As humans, we're creatures of habit. And our money mindsets are formed at a very, very young age. And we see these patterns of people we work with. So um, for example, I can give you a... a an example about myself. Um, when I was a kid, I would always want like a candy. I'd go to the grocery store with my parents on Sunday. You know, they have a candy aisle right by a checkout and I'd be like, give me that. And my parents would say, what are you talking about? Money doesn't grow on trees. Mm-hmm. Really? They, it's a dollar. It's, it was probably less than a dollar then. This was like the 90s. But um, really, they didn't want me to be sugared up on a Sunday. Right. In my mind, internally, I took that as like, oh, you can't get candy at the grocery store. To the point where as an adult, getting groceries like in college, I found myself grabbing a Kit Kat and being like, no, I can't do that. And then rethinking about it, like, wait, but I have money now. Like, it's a dollar. I can afford it. But it's so hardwired into me from the 10-year window when I was a kid of like, you can't get that Kit Kat or that that, um, treat at the grocery store. And we're so busy as people, we never take the time to question it. So whatever is happening, even if you're, you're, you know, your child is like five or eight or elementary school, they're internalizing all of that and processing all of it. And it's something that can really stick with them all the way through adulthood and beyond. So wow. long story short, <laughs> the sooner the better. Um, and the ways to start are just, I think one, just talking about money. Yeah. I, I'm shocked by how many clients we have that are like, it's taboo. My parents never looped me in on that. We never talk about it. So just having an a open dialogue about money and making it something that is not shameful or taboo to talk about in your household is a really great first step. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I think is pro- explaining and showing the importance of saving money and not spending every single amount you right. get. If you can hardwire that into your children, that is golden. And that can be anything from when you give them allowance, you can spend it now, or you can wait a week and then you get an extra, you get interest, you get an extra. Oh, that's yeah. so smart. Yeah. I know a lot of people that do that with their kids, like within, with um, interest on their allowance. Yeah. That's so smart. Mm-hmm. I but would I was, always spend was, my allowance as soon as I got it. I was uh, every too. time, like, every single time. Because it was always like you had, you know, I was very lucky growing up, but I always had the fallback of like my parents. So I never was concerned about money because I was like, they'll figure it out. Like, but you always think your parents will figure it out or they'll safety net you. And what happens if something gets fucked up on their end? You what know, what happens when you're 32 and you can't follow your own taxes? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. but, but honestly, like, no, totally. And I, but at least like now I have a lot of friends and like resources that I can watch. Or like, I talk about my best friend Danielle. She's been working since she's 14. That girl saves everything. And I'm like so inspired. Also, I have that. We are very lucky in this day and age where we do have resources like Invived, like YouTube, like these apps that like can at least teach us like little things along the way that our parents' generation didn't have. And therefore it did become taboo because they probably didn't fucking know what was going on. You know, like my mom sure as shit didn't know money management. And even now on Instagram, they have like the debt free like Instagram sites. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I want to talk like about that like, later. Yeah, we will. Um, okay. So you're, you see this like white space for this like bridge um, to help people financially and like 
teach them, you know, how to manage their money. Um, so what was your kind of first step? You're like, I have this idea. I mean, obviously your platform is proprietary, right? Like you built all that shit. Well, not you, but someone did build all of that. So how did you, how do you even start? Like, yeah, where do you even what begin? was the first step? Yeah. So that's also a, a fantastic question. And it's a process. I think a lot of times with entrepreneurs or business owners, we think, oh, there was this lightning bulb moment. They did it. And there was the company. And that's not the case at all. I actually first thought, I have no idea how to actually explain this to people who don't have a financial background. I was talking to super wealthy people and their money managers that understood this. So I went to journalism school at Columbia to learn with the whole purpose of figuring out how do I take this knowledge and make it really simple to understand. Wow. So I actually went to school part-time for that while I was Holy working on Wall Street. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm serious. <laughs> then I didn't understand technology at all. Like I, I just, I'm just like, what is this? How do you build it? Not a clue. Right. So went to coding class at General Assembly just to learn like basic how to <laughs> Both our hit the technology. ground were like, stop. I was fully expecting you to be like, I just I found a coder someone, on Craigslist yes. to help me. I, I oh, think that is so amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, my thought was like, I think you need to make sure there's, you can solve the problem before you, I also had a job that I loved. I was making like a really good amount of money for somebody in their twenties, like yeah. to walk away from that. I had to truly believe that like, this is a problem worth solving, which after sitting with friends and doing the nonprofit stuff, I knew like, this is a huge problem. No one's having a ton of success solving it. Yeah. I want to come in and make a change. And then secondly, which is what I didn't know, am I the person to solve this? Do, do I have the solution that can actually make change for people? Mm. So um, then I went into about a year of just like beta testing. So our first users were all like free users. I made everything via PowerPoint um, and Excel and it was all done by hand. And I would actually track their behavior change and their, mm. in, their net worth increase to make sure like that I actually could make it make an improvement there. Right. And for the first group, I, the average net worth increase was over $5,000 in a year. Wow. Um, so we had, we had really good impact to, to start. And then that was the point where I was like, okay, let's go to school for this. Let's learn about coding. Let's learn all the things we need to learn to make this happen. Um, still, at a certain point, I had to leave Wall Street to do it. So once it became a concrete idea and I was going to pursue it, mm -hmm. you can't like do that while working on Wall Street. Right. Just your employment contract won't let you. So left, wound up taking a job at a startup that was totally okay with me having my startup on the side. And then it was just like nights and weekends for like a straight year of just trying yeah. to make this work. And then at that point, like when I knew what the solution looked like, which is um, kind of what it looks like today, but very different than my initial idea. Um, that's when I left to do this full time and build our platform and do everything we needed to do to make the company. And I got to give you so much credit. Boss AF. Holy shit. Because I would have been like, who can do this? How much do I owe you? Same. Same. <laughs> the second anybody was like, you should learn coding. I'd be like, that's no. a hard no yeah, from so, me. Yeah. No. Coding to, is scary. To be fair, I didn't code it all myself. The, the beginning, like our initial website and stuff I made. I don't care but you wrote one line <laughs> that you just went to school for it. You were like, I'm going to see what I can do. But I would have just like buried myself in the ground and been like, no, kill same, me here. Same. Yeah. As, as a, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, as a, awesome. As a bootstrap founder, though, you've got to be able, even if you're hiring somebody to code, like you have to know how to speak their language and how to speak to them. And we didn't have like, you know, venture capital or anything. This was like my savings doing this. 
So like I was thinking like I need to educate myself so I know how to get this build as cheaply and as well as possible. And you have to have a certain level of knowledge to, to oh, make that yeah. wild. But that's similar to like, okay, so out of financials, but like even restaurants and stuff, they say like the owner should always know how to cook. Yeah. Mm. Like they should always know mm-hmm. what, you know, because God forbid, like something happens, mm-hmm. you got to like at least try and figure it out. So mm-hmm. that's like really smart. I, but I wouldn't have, like I've heard that about restaurants and I would have never applied it yeah. to something like this. Yeah, I think that's true of everything. You've got to know that yeah. if you really love something and you're passionate about it, like, and you want to be successful and knowing the ins and outs of every piece is, I think, really critical. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's wild. That just like, <laughs> um, so l- let's dive a little deeper into like what wealth coaching is. And like you touched on this in the beginning, but like what is wealth coaching and who is it for? And like, what are some of the goals that you help people achieve? Hmm. Yeah. So uh, wealth coaching, um, I gave a high level overview before. So again, it's everything you need to be financially successful in one place if you're in the early stage of your financial journey. So our clients are typically people with great jobs that are you know, really ambitious. They want to be successful in life and they get that finance is important, but they're not sure how to put it, to put it together. And that's where we come in and we help basically create all of that uh, for them. And, and some of the goals that they'll work on, it's everything from I have debt and credit card debt that I want to pay down to I'm paycheck to paycheck. 80% of Americans are paycheck to paycheck, meaning like they're not saving money each month. So we help break that cycle. To, so you get to a point where you can start saving yeah. and, and having success there. And it can be um, some other goals are, um, you know, I want to start investing and growing my wealth. How do I go about doing that and learning the basics? So that, that's kind of the spectrum of, of things that we can help people with. Um, but really, it's custom to you. So the first yeah. thing we do with our clients is we sit you down and we say, what are your goals? What are the things you're looking to achieve? And then we'll also say, here are some goals that we think you should have based on after we've crunched the numbers, what we think right. it looks like. Um, from there, we have your set of goals, and we always like to focus on one thing at a time. I, I think people are very, very busy. That's probably the biggest obstacle to success is just being so busy where it's hard to stay on top of this and keep track. So we like to pick up one goal at a time. We break it down into little micro goals so they're really easy, achievable steps. Yeah. And then we're holding you accountable and following up with you to make sure it happens. Um, so the example could be, I want to pay off my credit card debt. I have like you know 20000 of it. Big goal can we pay off one card by summer? Can we get that balance from that one card below, you know, $1,000 two months from now? What about two weeks from now? And we'll really reverse engineer those goals so that the path is really clear and achievable. And then when they achieve, like you said, it's achievable. So when, then when you hit it, if you say one card has $1,000 on it or whatever, and you end up paying that off, it gives you that boost of confidence Mm, to move forward to the next one. Because I feel like when uh, everybody wants to put everything on the same plate mm-hmm. and instead of doing it in a in a row, you know, like instead of putting it in a list where it's like you can check it off and then the plate, like if it's all in the same thing, you're like, again, where do I attack it? How do I start? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you do those small goals and you can like check it off. I was reading this thing that said like, when you don't follow through with like something you said you would do, it causes depression. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great to have those smaller goals so that you can like build your confidence with it and move forward as opposed to being like, I couldn't pay it off and now I'm not going to pay anything off. Yeah. I think in general, like we, we tend to shoot for the stars and then we don't, when we don't reach the stars right away, we get frustrated when it's like, you just have to take baby steps because all those little steps add up, you know, like if you want to run a mile, you have to take one step first. Right, right, right. It's so Um, true. And if you think of finance as as a whole, right? Like, yes, it can get very complicated. There are a lot of bits and pieces there. 
but you have something like 80% of people are paycheck to paycheck. Most people know the basics, spend less than you make, but we can't, most people fail to do that. 80% of people fail to do that. And it's the psychology, which is, that's the thing that we really tackle that most people ignore. The psychology is just as, if not more important than the actual education piece. They're both very complementary and needed, but the psychology is what will make or break most people. How do you handle that with people, like with their stress and everything? How do you handle that emotional part of like people's finances. Oh, I was not going to say that. Oh, <laughs> great, great point. So um, yeah, I, I think the first thing is stress, just like you talked about. Money is the number one cause of stress in our country. Like that's Are there a lot the of thing. tears in your meetings? So many. And a lot of times they're happy tears too. Like okay. it's like, I'm finally dealing with it. I'm having a breakthrough. Those oh, are good. usually the kinds of tears that we get, but it happens very often. And that's usually the number one most stressful thing in somebody's life is their money. It's not their relationships. It's not like health stuff. It's money. So Mm -hmm. knowing that, the number one thing you can do to reduce the amount of stress you feel is to identify what about your money is stressing you out and just tackle that head on. And once you do that, every single day gets easier and easier. Mm -hmm. So to tackle the emotions, I think the first thing we do is we'll assess the client. So we'll talk to them and we'll get a feel for, we'll ask a lot of questions and we'll get an understanding of what money style and thoughts and attitudes that they have. We ask some of those questions in our like onboarding survey that we give you when you become a client. We'll ask some of them on the call as we're talking with you through your goals and your, you know, we'll ask things like, you know, what's stopped you from reaching these goals before? How much do you stress out about money? And we'll build like a profile of what we think is going to help them. And the unique thing about us is we've seen thousands of cases of different people. So you start to notice patterns like people that behave this way and maybe like feel guilty for getting a coffee. Um, well, this is the way to, to combat that. So we'll basically um, put people into, segment them into groups, and we know exactly how to tackle each group based on their money persona. Oh my God, people are probably just so different and like all over the yeah. map with it, where it's like some people get stressed about spending money on coffee and other people are like, I cannot not have my yeah. $7 coffee every day. Mm-hmm. And there's no wrong answer. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That is a good point. Um, how, like, what do you find when you're working with, regardless of like what their money persona is, there must be certain trends and obstacles that they're facing. So you mentioned paycheck to paycheck, like what are some other common obstacles? And the reason I asked this is because of what we were talking about when we first got on the call is like the, the shame factor, the guilt factor, the kind of like tabooness of like not having enough savings in the in the bank or not knowing how to file your taxes, not knowing how to buy a house. Like what are some of the things that you see so that the people listening can know that if this is something that they're going through or thinking about, it's not just them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the biggest complaints we get is I work so hard. I've been working for years, some, some even more than a decade and I have absolutely nothing to show for it. And I feel like I have all the student debt I did all the right things people told me for my whole life. I went to school. I got good grades. I took out student loans. I went to college. I did well. I got the job. And I still cannot get ahead. And that's a generational thing that affects our whole generation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say that's like the number one complaint we have. Um, And it really, it comes from people just feel like they should be further along than they are. Mm, Interesting. I feel like that. Yeah, I do too sometimes. Sometimes I don't though. I don't know. It's super weird. Yeah, it's I'm very a weird conflicted. Yeah. Um, what, do, what do people have a hard time like letting go of spending wise? Do you mm-hmm. find? Oh yeah. So the hardest thing um, to let go is, are things for other people. 
that's like if we, <laughs> which is bear, bear, bear with me for a second. So what we do with our clients is we'll actually evaluate all of your spending head on. So we look at, we actually have you do a ton of exercises. We'll look at all of your spending and we'll determine with you, you know, what's high value, what's not. So for some people, the Starbucks may be worth it every single time. It adds so much value to your life that like, that's what you should be spending your money on. For others, like you didn't even want the Starbucks. You just wanted to leave the office for five minutes. Maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't go like drop $10 on like a coffee yeah. and snacks at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll, we'll look at each person and like, what's the, what's the right answer for you there. But um, um, yeah, so it's, it's really different for, for everyone what they should be doing. Sorry, the dogs are making an oh. appearance. <laughs> no problem. Um, on the topic of spending and sort of like, I feel like spending, Roxy, could oh, you please? Oh, sorry. And oh, to answer your other, your other question. So things for other people, when we look at a right. budget, want to cut, it's going to other people's, it's like weddings for other people. Or oh, it's that's his favorite thing to spend money on. Or it's, or it's a bachelor, a bachelorette party. It's things where you feel that social obligation and you feel like you're letting other people down if you don't do it. And for somebody who's in that age where friends are getting married, I mean, we have clients that have like, We'll say, sum up how many weddings you have to go for each year. Let's think through all the costs, airfare, hotel, bachelor party. Do that. Yeah, yeah, you're really good at doing so that. So literally everybody that I know is getting married. And mm-hmm. like I'm going to a wedding next Saturday. Yeah. And then I have another wedding in June. And then I already know I have a wedding in January. So, mm-hmm. but what my boyfriend and I do, we have a thing called the wedding fund that is yes. for other people's <laughs> weddings. That's the money away every week for other people's weddings because we're like, we just have so, and we're in that age that like everybody is getting married. And so we're like, we don't want to pull out of pocket. I don't want to pull out of my paycheck for that like weekend. Spending, yeah. yeah. So I'm just like, we'll just chip away, put it away so that when we get there, we're like, okay, great. Here's your gift. But I feel Here's like every hotel. wedding you go to is also like somewhere else. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends are away. Like I'm going down the shore next Saturday. Yeah. And so we have to stay over. I just but... stop talking to people when they get engaged. Yeah. <laughs> and... Oh, oh, and we're done here. Oh, you put, he put a ring on it. Congratulations. I'll talk to you in two years. <laughs> <laughs> Call me after the honeymoon. It's crazy. But yeah, like where you that would pull sense. out a pot, you know, like if you're not, I feel like you should always assume that somebody's going to get married. So like maybe just, I'm not that you have to say for their we- wedding all the time, but like, I know like for my best friend's wedding, Danielle, I just brought her up before. Um, she she was the best because she didn't expect anything from anybody. She was like, I want to go to Madrid for my bachelorette. Don't worry if you can't make it. Obviously, I was like, how much do I owe? When do I go? Like, I'm going to be <laughs> when there. When do we take off? <laughs> and then her wedding was in Virginia. So like, and we were there, I was in it. So we went a day early because I'm just like a little baby like that. I, I need to rest before the day, like whatever. And John and I, we had known ahead of time and we just like saved and planned so that when we got there, it wasn't like this big hit of mm-hmm. yeah. going away and doing all that stuff. But yeah, like other, you're right. Okay. I didn't even think like, oh, other people's things. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. The average cost to attend a wedding is between like $500 and $1,000. Yeah. And if you have, you know, let's say you have several per year, like that's easily money that could have been your emergency fund or something else. That's right. a goal of yours. Yeah. Dang. How, um, actually I kind of want to stick to the topic, but I did want to know like, um, what, how much should people have in their emergency fund? You know what I mean? Like, is it a three month type of situation? Is it like a, is there a number? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So there's no like rule that's one personal finance in general is not one size fits all for everybody. It's slightly different, but conventional wisdom says like minimum three months of bills. Like if you have less than that and going back to stress, money being the number one cause of stress, the main reason is because nearly half of Americans don't even have $400 in savings. So when you're living life on the edge like that, yeah, it's stressful. You're literally like one bad thing happening away from being in debt or further in debt. So um, minimum three months fixed expenses. That's the point where people start to feel like, oh, I can breathe a little bit. I'm not yeah. completely terrified. Something is going to take me out financially. Right. Then from there, as you have more people depending on you and more obligations, that can go up. So mm-hmm. for example, like if you're a recent graduate, you know, you have helicopter parents and you're working in a job like accounting where like lots of people always want to hire you, three months of bills is probably fine. If you are a single parent and you are in something that's really hit, like really variable with income, like you're a realtor um, and it it may not be as consistent and you have a mortgage, then you might want to be more like, you know, 12 months, Mm -hmm. just not like a full year of salary up to that. Um, So the main way to answer that question is like, what can cover you mathematically, and then also psychologically, what makes you feel comfortable? Yeah. The point of an emergency fund is to be like a security blanket that makes you feel secure. Yeah. Beyond that, though, and something that you want to evaluate is at what point do you stop contributing? Because emergency funds should be in cash; they're there for right. you in case an emergency That's happens. Really fucking good question. Yeah. yeah. And interest rates are super low, right? So like maybe you're making 2% interest on that money. So it's not growing. Interest rates keep dropping. Yeah. What the fuck? Globally. (laughs) Shit. Yeah. Globally, that's just what's what's happening. Um, So rude. (laughs) So yeah, so 2%. But whereas if you look at the stock market last year, it was up 29%. So every dollar you have in that emergency fund earning 2%, you know, if you look at a year like last year, it could have been invested in the market and made 29% instead of that 2%. So it would have been growing like way, way, way faster. Again, last year was like way better than average. An average year for US stocks is like 10% increase. Mm-hmm. Not saying every year is 10%. Um, some right. years are way better. Some years are way worse, like 2008, 2009. But ultimately, that's the decision you have to make is at what point does my emergency fund make me secure? And I can move on and then start to work on growing my wealth. And that's kind of the building blocks of saving money, right? First step is pay off your high interest debt. So anything that's costing you a lot of money, pay it off. Then build that emergency fund. Then once your emergency fund is set, then you start growing your wealth um, so that you're setting yourself up for success in the future. I'm just now, as we're having this conversation, realizing like how mentally challenged I am because no amount of money in my bank account will make me feel safe. I know. I have such fucking high anxiety about money. And it's like, not for lack of having, like I'm doing just fine, but like I could have... $300,000 cash in my checking account or savings account or whatever and like still have anxiety about it. Have you met me? Like what's wrong with us? So, (sighs) so, okay. But that's the thing is to dive deeper, like ask yourself why we could have a whole conversation about just unpacking because there's a root cause somewhere that's making you feel nervous. Do you do that with your clients or do you like, no, you're like, go see a therapist. No, no. Set up a call. We are like, oh, we've had clients that have like reduced the amount of sessions they have with their therapist because they're like, I'm just going to talk about money with you guys because yeah. you know. I just broke up with my therapist. So I might be giving you guys a call pretty soon. <laughs> Please do. Now that I'm having this like aha moment, I'm like, shit, because you said that. And I'm like, what amount of money would I feel comfortable with? And I'm like, 
I don't, I literally don't have an amount of money. And I just feel good that crazy. So over the summer I work with my dad and like, we had like a battle Royale over the summer. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. Of course I do. And, uh, I was starting to figure out, I'm like, I could, if I just paid all my like livable bills, like my rent and honestly cable, cause I love to watch Bravo. Um, and like all those things, I'm like, I could live for like two years and not work if I absolutely yeah. needed to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and that I would still have like, that'd be like, if I wasn't trying for a job and was just like laying around like being a maniac. And I'm like, I could fucking do this if I needed to. Luckily we kissed and made up. So it was fine. But yeah. I was like, I can do this if I need to. That was the first time where I felt empowered because I had saved I'd had savings. I was like, all right, cool. Like, yeah. Cause other times I'd just be flailing. I don't know why even that, even like if I actually don't know what my exact like amount is, but like, even if I had two years, I'd still be like, oh my God, I could totally go two years without getting a job. Like that's what kind of psychopath I am. (laughs) Anyway. Um, okay. So here's a question as we're moving from spending to like kind of debt, what are, what do you usually recommend to keep, like, let's assume that someone has like a healthy amount of debt. Because you have to have, am I making an assumption here? You have to have like kind of a healthy-ish amount of debt. Otherwise, your credit is like totally fucked. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so credit's a very interesting thing to unpack. And part of that, there are a lot of kind of misconceptions about credit scores. And a big part of that is all those credit companies, like the credit karmas of the world, have been spending so much on advertising that like credit score is the one thing people know. Um, So that's when you think about credit, you don't need to have debt. You want to use credit responsibly. So the best way to go about it is have a credit card, preferably one that gets you lots of rewards and points and all of that, but use it like a debit card. So pay it off in full every single month. And then like you're fine, you're using credit responsibly, and that's what the credit reporting agencies want to see. The other thing that's important to know is like credit matters when you want to borrow. So if you're looking to get a mortgage or borrow, a, you know, borrow money to start a business or get a car, then it's it's super important to have a high score. But unless you're trying to use and access new credit, like your score doesn't really do a whole lot for you. It only matters in those times when you're we're utilizing them to borrow money. That makes sense. I get corny off my credit score. Legit. It like turns me on. I just hit 815-ish and I like check my credit every day and I'm like, Fuck yes. Yeah, mine. Yes. Um, and it took it, me forever though because I was a stupid 20-something year old like dicking around with my money and like not spending or spending what I wasn't making and whatever. And so when Jesse and I like got engaged, my credit score was like 500. Like it was whoa. so low. So for me to now be as high as I am, it's legit like orgasmic. It's oh, nice. it's amazing. So nice. And I was very lucky when I went to go lease my car. I went to the Volvo dealership and I went to lease my car and I got to just walk off the lot and I was like, peace, I'm out of here. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> another question is like, I know you say that it only matters if you're going to use it, but I sort of feel like what if you need to use it unexpectedly? Yes. And you that's, know, so- that's where I'm going next is it takes okay. a very long time to build up. So right. you have a, like, let's say you miss a payment and it goes on your credit report. It's there for up to seven years. So yeah. like, if after that payment, five years later, you're like, I want to go buy a house. That payment that you missed like five years ago, because you were like on vacation when it was due is going to come back to haunt you. Mm-hmm. And that's the main oh thing God. to remember about credit is it takes a very long time to build it up and get it to a good spot. However, the results and like the reward for doing that, it, it's massive. So the example being, if you want to go buy a home and let's say like we're in the tri-state area, it's, ex- it's expensive here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the amount of interest you save from having a great credit score versus just an okay credit score on like a, you know, a half a million dollar home, which is pretty standard here, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in the tri-state area, that's over a hundred grand in interest over the life of your, you know, your mortgage. So yeah, paying mortgage is painful. Those statements at the end of the year, when you realize how much interest you're paying versus how much of your principal you're paying, it's like, it hurts. Yeah, it does. The moral of the story is just with credit, like monitor it, try to get that up over time. No, it is a long process and it takes a long time. But if you plan on being a homeowner one day or being in a situation where you're going to borrow a lot of money, like the, the amount of money you make back on having a good credit score in terms mm-hmm. of saved interest, break that down to an hourly rate and it's probably pretty good. It's probably yeah. worth you know having your finances in order every month yeah. and making sure everything's paid. Totally. So then for... for- I like I totally sidebarred, but for keeping debt under control, um, so your recommend is your recommendation like try not to have any basically? Yeah, so I think it's important to just break down like good debt and bad debt. Okay. I, I think all of debt gets a bad rap. And like the example I can give you is I took out six figures of debt to start this business. Have we made it all back in revenue? Absolutely. So um I, I think the the main thing to understand about debt is like know why you're taking it out. If you plan to make more money on that, then you will pay an interest and it's good debt for the most part. Like everybody that owns a business ever probably took out debt at some point to start Mm -hmm. it. And if they're successful, it's worth it. Um, Same with being a homeowner. Like the idea is you hope for some appreciation in the home. You want some return on that investment there. But if you look at something like credit card debt where you're paying a ton of interest, then, you know, not so worth it. So the idea is the debt you want um, should be good debt if you're going to have it. Ideally, you should have no bad debt and you're just using a credit card, getting a free flight or vacation every year. I always like to say if you're not getting a free vacation every year from your credit card, you're doing it all wrong Mm -hmm. and just pay it off in full completely and just don't accumulate debt that you're paying interest on. Yeah. What about student loans? Student loans are, they're usually... Yeah. So they're, they're necessary. And I think if you, if you break down student loans, right, like the idea is they, I think a lot of people feel badly about them and you shouldn't. All the studies show, and there are numerous amount of studies, but over your lifetime by getting a bachelor's degree, you should earn between one and a half and two and a half million extra throughout your lifetime. So the idea is like over your life, it's a good investment. However, there's a lot of shame and just guilt that's associated with student loans. And I, and you shouldn't feel that way. It's, right. it's really, and it's really because the payments can be something that you see every month that reminds you that it's there. Um, the main thing about student loans is just make sure you're not paying a ton in interest um, and that you can afford the monthly payments pretty comfortably. Um, if you're paying a lot in interest, you can always refinance and get a lower interest rate. And if you um, have a payment plan and you have federal loans, you can always change that payment plan. So typically when a client comes to us, like, we're able, a student loan is very rarely like the real problem in somebody's financial situation. Like it's very rare that it's like you have private loans, you can't refinance to change the payment structure. And like, you just need to earn more money to pay this off. Like it's very rarely that it's almost always this payment plan's not working for you or we can refinance. We do a quick little fix. It takes a couple of weeks and then you're on with the rest of your financial life. Mm. I, I tapped into this before but I wanted to ask you this. So I'm sorry to like kind of shift. How do you feel about those like easy Instagram things, like the debt-free journey things? I, I think they're so inspiring. I, I commend and love everybody that's doing them. 
-hmm. I don't think that's realistic for like 99% of people. Why? I think, I, I think that the amount of, and I'm talking to people that like, this is their life. They're like dedicated to doing this all day, every day they're posting. It's like the number one focus that they have. Um, that it's wonderful if that's your number one focus, but most people are very busy and have a lot of things that they have to manage. So right, maybe like I could never have... fuck an extreme coupon, you know, people that oh yeah. my like, God. that's what I mean. That show is fascinating. That's yeah. what I mean. If I told any of like our clients to do that, there would be like 1% that's like, yes, I'm on it. That's great. There's everyone else that would be like, what about my boss, partner, kids, like family members that like need my help? Like Like, I don't have the room. Also, the amount of math that that shit requires is wild. Yeah. Um, So I also look at those Instagram accounts that where they like pull out a thousand dollars cash for the month and like basically like put it in all the envelopes. Yeah. So many envelopes. Yeah. I love that. Here's the thing. Those methods work and it's, it's incredible. And if everybody could like, if everybody could easily wave a wand and do that, that would be amazing. But the reality is like change and sticking with something is so, so hard that to go all in gung ho like that with anything, whether it's the fitness equivalent is like, I'm going to go to like two workout classes a day and like go full vegan. And like, you know, most people will burn out after like a week of that. And, And they're so discouraged that they won't try again. So the, the formula of extreme like immersion works for a certain kind of person going back to those money profiles. A certain kind of person is going to thrive in that environment of being all in, jet free, let's go, eat, sleep and breathe it. Right. But the rest of us, myself included with, any, with behavior change, it's got to be gradual and you've got to implement it in your lifestyle. So it's a very natural new habit you're building. And that's how most people change. It's not like a quick immersion. It's like a gradual, let's get a little better each day. And then flash forward a year from now, you're doing way more amazing than you were. Right. And you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. Oh my exactly. gosh. Like, in yeah. a good way though, like, oh my gosh, I got here. Right? Yeah. So if you have to make like one little step, obviously it's very personal. I get that. But like generally speaking, what is like the first step that you would recommend for someone who wants to change their financial like life? First step is define exactly why you want to change your financial life. Like what's bothering you the most and why? Like where's that big source of motivation going to come from? And here's the thing, like as humans, we're wired to seek out instant gratification. So like if I'm a finance person, I know the math inside and out. And if I get paid, I want to immediately like go shopping or book a trip. Like right. that's just how we're wired as people. And the world of Instagram doesn't make it any easier. We're being marketed to like 24 mm-hmm. seven. So to go against your own innate wiring, which says I get money, I spend it. And to go against everything culture and society is throwing at you, which is here's a new thing that you need to buy or have. You need to have internally some really big reason why you're going to go against that, that motivates you and convinces you to keep saving and keep sticking on your path. Um, and that can be, so once you de- determine your why you're doing it, like everything else becomes 10 times easier. I think that's really good advice just in life in general. Yeah, for anything. Um, there's a book, which you've probably read, called Start With Start Why. Start With Why, yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's what that reminded me of um, because it's literally the truth for anything that you're doing. Is like you have to continuously remember why and your why has to be strong enough to keep you going. Exactly. And in this day and age, like it's so hard for, this is something I noticed generationally across our client base. It's so hard to know your why. Like back in the day, we didn't have screens. So if you met a friend for lunch or you were online at the grocery store, 
you were alone with your thoughts. So you had to think like, what do I believe? What do I value? How do I feel right now? We don't have those thoughts anymore. We're, oh, I'm waiting for a friend. Boom, Instagram's on my phone. So we're not alone with our thoughts and we're not reflecting internally in a way that, you know, we did even 10 years ago. Um, And what I notice is clients that have like a meditation practice or they journal, they're innately a lot more aware with what their beliefs are and what they want than clients who don't. And for the clients that don't, we actually tell them to start writing things down and, and journaling meditating, and having meditate. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, Very that's like even similarly. So this year when the new year hit, I have a lot of, my boyfriend and I have goals that like we want to reach. How many times have I said, I'm not fucking going to dinner if it's like not something important. I'm not going out. I'm not saying yes. You and I got into it because she wanted me to go to what was it? Like some dinner or something or some drinks with like uh, almost 30 podcasts, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not going. She's like, you have to be more open-minded. I was like, I told you I'm not going. Like, it was free. Mind you, it was a free event. She just w- didn't want to go. I didn't it was just fine. I didn't want to go and spend money. I didn't want to go and spend unnecessary money. And I didn't want to spend money. It was going to be seven o'clock and I was going to be hungry. And I know. I was going to be so tired at seven o'clock, but, but uh, any- we didn't fight about it because I didn't really want to go. But I did want to like, in theory, I wanted to go. Right. But I get it. Like you have to protect what's you have to protect yourself from what's not worth it to you because it all adds up too. like where I had to I have to warn my friends and be like listen I have one spot available in February not that I'm like a hot commodity I'm just saying like I'll choose whoever asks me first I'll go but just don't be mad if I say no to you for the other weekends because I'm not trying to it's so easy you don't you don't say yes to your friends so you don't get it no I don't say yes to anybody I I say yes to all my friends and I end up I'm never in the hole but I'm just like scraping by with like after savings. It's also different though, because my friends are all in my boat. Like we all have kids, like we all are in bed by eight o'clock. So it gets different. I have a hodgepodge of friends. It gets different. Um, But I agree. It's easier said than done though, right? Like it's way easier said that you're not going to go out to dinner and spend money and do all of these things Mm -hmm. than actually saying no. Right, right. Sorry, I'm playing with my notes. Because you need the better alternative. It's like if somebody asks you to go to dinner and you don't have anything else that you're like really working towards, it's like, oh, well, I make money. It's here. I'm going to go. If you're thinking, oh, I really want to go to Spain this summer and like inside of your wallet is like a picture of like Spain and you can't wait, then like you're going to think twice. Every dollar you spend on something else is a dollar that postpones your Spain trip. Yeah, because easy going to dinner, just even if it's one-on-one, is like 60 bucks. Because if you're yeah. having alcohol and two appetizers, we'll share. I would them. be like happy if my bill was $60 at dinner. I'm not like between the two of you and saying <laughs> each person. No, I know. I would be happy. I feel like dinner is so expensive. Dinner is expensive. Um, so you made a, a really interesting comment that I didn't actually consider before. And it also just sort of goes know. hand in hand with what well, we were talking about other things. Um, another question I had, but like social media, like how do you feel like that's affected our financial wellness? Oh, not, not well. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Um, I, I think what you have is there's always been keeping up with the Joneses. That's always been a thing. I think now it's elevated because you cannot escape the Joneses. Literally every time you get bored for two seconds, you're picking up your phone and looking at them. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes people tend to define their values and strive for things that maybe aren't deep down what they really want, but what they think that they should want, if if that makes sense. Um, And the problem with that is if you keep chasing those ideals, 
you're never going to be happy. There's always going to be like another thing that the Kardashians post that you want, but like right. you have to save to get. And like, there's, it's like that saying, some, there's always going to be somebody like richer, thinner, younger than you. Yeah. So it's, you get in this rat race of like, I need that next promotion that need, need that next raise so I can get that next thing. And you never, ever stop or question it. You're just chasing the next thing. And the thing I, I like employ you all to do is just like ask yourself, is that really making me happy? How much joy do I get from like each of these things that I'm buying? Yeah. One of the things I did when I left my Wall Street job, because I was like mid-20s, I was making like close to 200 grand a year. Um, and like I was, you know, I had yeah. tons of money and I was, I was spending a lot of it because, you know, I, I was in that like Wall had it, yeah. lifestyle. What I did is I went through all my purchases and said, like, what do I actually need to be happy? Like, what's the salary I need to be able to be like, I could leave this job, I can do something else. And like my happiness level wouldn't alter. And it was a third of what I actually was making. Wow. How did you go about figuring that out? Yeah. So I, I sat down to like, what's my ideal life? So ignoring social media, you know, friends, family, like what do I really want? What does my ideal day, month, year look like? And let's list what these things are. And it's everything from like, here's what I would want to have it with in terms of food. Here's how much of a social budget I would need. Um, I want to have like an all access pass to yoga so I can go all the time. Like nice. what is my typical day? How many times do I want to travel per year? So like basically plotting out my dream life and then like what's the amount of money I actually need to make these key things that make me happy happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I found that like, okay, two thirds of the money I had was going towards stuff that like wasn't really that necessary or critical to my happiness. But like the busier we are, and that tends to be a function of success. Like if you're a young professional, you're, you know, you're, you have a great job. You're like, you know, maybe you're doing a podcast, like for fun, you know, on mm. weekends and you're super busy. How much time do you really have to question all of your purchases and think about like, is this making me happier? Yeah. So, I gotta do that. Yeah. I map out my dream life. I feel like my dream life would cost me your, a lot of money. Your dream life is, so, life is so fucking expensive already. It's I can so ridiculous. I'm like traveling every five minutes already. It's like, I just want to travel more, but I have to do it with kid in tow. I think about the, I mean, this is just going on the theme, not so much obviously like with money, but I read this thing too that said, um, everybody's ready for a wedding, but they're not ready for marriage. So like <laughs> to kind of, you know, like, or they have their, they want the wedding and then like the marriage part's like, Oh fuck. What did we, you know, like not the, what did we do, but like, there's so much more. So like, just even thinking like the next thing, the next thing mm -hmm. where it's like, I want to get married. I want to, and I want to have a kid. I want to this. And it's always like, when, when are you going to about right now? Yeah. What's going to yeah. make you happy? That, like that's the rat race. Exactly. And that's, exactly. that's the thing. I think everybody, there's this hidden belief that like money, more money makes you happier. And to a point that's true. Like if you're stressed out about like, how do I pay rent? you probably need to go earn some more money. Like yeah. there are certain levels where like making more will make you happier, but at a certain point it doesn't. And what money does, and this is from like, you know, managing money for the super wealthy, money is a magnifying glass. It amplifies what's already there. So if you're a happy person making $40,000 a year, you're going to be a happy person making 4 million a year. And if you're a miserable person making 4 million, you're probably like, or 440,000, you're going to be miserable making 4 million. Yep. It really just amplifies what's there. And so people adjust to their pay, right? So like, say like I went from making 75 grand a year to making like 125 or something mm -hmm. like I get a big raise. And then it's like, you end up filling that gap as opposed to being like, let me live at 75 and then just kind of like save from the difference, you know? And it's yeah. like, everybody levels up and now it's like, I don't have enough money here at 125. Exactly. And it's like, girl, you were just at 75,000. Yeah. What do you mean? 
it's lifestyle creep and it takes about three paychecks to adjust. That's by, it? By paycheck three, you're like, I'm used to this new lifestyle. That's yeah, what I believe it. Cause it's always, I believe it because it's always like, there's always like, to your point before, there's always something more. There's always something newer and shinier, someone younger and prettier. You know what I mean? Like there's always more, bigger goals that you, or maybe goals is the wrong word, but I get it. It's yeah. my point. Yeah, well, we wanted to like move all over into spending. And I read your article on why you feel guilty when you spend money and how to stop. Oh, great. I'm glad you read that. Loved it. And then hey, so, link it in the show notes. We'll link it in the show notes. I do want to tap into that for a second because I want to enjoy money guilt-free. Mm-hmm. But but I also want to give myself a break from like constant because I want to give like myself a break from constantly saving. Um and I want to enjoy it without taking the we can't take it with us attitude too far. Because, you know, like sometimes it's like, you know yes. what, you can't go with it, like whatever. And then you start the fucking yellow, making yeah. it rain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then after that happens, you're like, the spending hangover. So like, what do you suggest that, you know, you can spend without feeling like too fucking guilty? Totally. So, and this is where the balance approach comes in. And that's why like, while the debt-free journey is awesome, like the balance is is super key. Mm -hmm. First, I I think the first thing to think about is why do we feel guilt as people? And we feel guilt when our behavior isn't in line with our values that we have. Like we've Mm -hmm. somehow gone against what we believe. Um, So a lot to unpack there. The first thing I look at is sometimes it can be good, right? So sometimes if you have, if you have, you know, 50,000 in credit card debt, and then you're spending money like you blew $1,000 at the mall, then like, yeah, you should feel guilty. Like it's because you are not doing something in line with your values and your value right now is paying off that debt. So it's usually, (laughs) yeah, guilt is, guilt serves to help us. The point of guilt is it's supposed to help us have the right behaviors in life. And usually that's a good thing. Like all the studies show that people that have high levels of guilt, they tend to be better partners, better employees, better coworkers. Like people that feel guilt tend to be like better overall, like humans in the world. However, I'm the the worst person ever. I don't even, I don't know the last time I felt guilty about anything. (laughs) But, and and that's okay too. But to go, to go on to guilt with money, sometimes we feel guilt because we just have to redefine our values. And like the, the latte, the $5 latte is the best example of this. There's so much stuff out there that's like, don't get the Starbucks. Like you're ruining your financial life. Like feel guilty when you buy this. And people will come to me like every single week. Clients are like, Danny, I feel guilty about Starbucks. Yeah. And like, is the first question I ask is like, is that in line with your values? I had a Starbucks on the way over here. I would have paid $30 for it. I had date night last <laughs> night with my husband. We had a couple of drinks more than we usually do. And we had to be up at seven today because he had a hockey game. So I'm like, that Starbucks to me was worth, Everything. you know, 10 like times support. what I paid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's in line with my values. I wanted to be here, energetic for you guys. So it the Starbucks is worth it. <laughs> um, oh, they think, well, there we go. And there's the value of Starbucks right there. But there are some days when I'm like out of habit, like especially when I used to, you know, work on Wall Street, I would get two, three Starbucks a day. I wouldn't think about it. It's just like, this is what I do. It's 2 p.m. Let me yeah, get the coffee. Yeah, I need the energy. Yeah, exactly. And I, not even that I needed the energy. Some, sometimes I did, but other times it's just out of habit. Two o'clock mm-hmm. coffee time, let me go. Mm-hmm. Not even making me happier. I'm just like, you know, here's Starbucks, take my money and I'm not getting right. any value out of it. So going back to guilt, like if you feel guilty, that means it's not in line with your values. So let's question your values and let's see what we need to do. And a good value that we push on all of our clients is 
30% of your money every month is your money to do whatever you want with. That's your fun money. We want you to spend, and we do a custom budget for everyone. So this is just using like rough numbers, but about half of your money goes towards your bills, the stuff that's not going away. It's your rent, it's your mortgage, it's the basics. We want you to save ideally 20%. Um, half of that's for retirement, half of that's for other goals that you have. And then that 30% spend guilt-free, it goes in, in its own separate account. And it is your job to use that money to make you as happy as possible throughout the month. Ooh, and you decide what to that. do with it. Yeah. And at that point, like you're thinking, great, my bills are paid. My goals are covered. This is my guilt-free money. Like, let's go and enjoy life. Yeah. And then even then you're, I, I mean, I feel like even if I had like that guilt-free money, I'd be like, and maybe just save a little bit of this too. You know, like, I feel like I would probably add that to it. Well, so here's the other here's the other way. You can do that and that's an option, but you know what your goals are at this point. So like let's say your goals were I want my emergency fund to be at $1000 and I want to take a trip this summer. Yeah. We would actually automate your savings so that we know how much you're saving every month for both emergency fund and for travel and we would say based on this plan that we created, you hit your emergency goal by September, you hit your travel goal by June. Are you cool with this? So now if you're taking your money from, we call it choice spending, that 30%, now if you're taking that money and putting it towards goals, it's because you want to accelerate your timeline. And now that's the question you ask yourself. Do I want to accelerate my timeline or do I want to enjoy it now? Because you're already on track to hit your goals at a point where you feel good about it. I like the terminology that's tied into it, like accelerating your timeline Mm -hmm. and like making it more like a positive, I don't know. Like, yeah, you can be like, yeah, I'm saving. But I feel like when it has certain terminology, it has more effect to it. Yeah, It's all psychology. That's all the hardest yeah. thing oh my about God, my it's, head. <laughs> no, no. The hardest thing about any life change, like physical, mental, money, whatever, it's the psychology. Like, that's it. It's tricking your brain to do the things that you want, deep down want to do, but life and the way we're wired makes it hard. It's the same way like you might mix the peas in the, with the mashed potatoes for your kids so they eat their veggies. Like that's basically what we're doing to ourselves as adults anytime we want to change our behavior. Oh, I like that. Tricksters. <laughs> um, do you want to ask this question? Because that's your purple question. Oh, so this is just like a, a you question. What do you like to splurge or spend on? Oh, how much time do you guys have? <laughs> um, so travel is huge for me. Um, yes. I, I love to travel. I have Where? to do. So I've lived around the world. I've, 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 like when I was in school, I studied in China, Spain, Costa wow. Rica. So I've always been kind of a traveler. I'm going to Grand Cayman next month, um, nice. going to Vermont the month after to, to do some, to do a trip up there. So I always like to. Where in Vermont, if you don't mind me asking. Going to the Burlington area um, and then going into like north upstate New York. So I think we're going to do like some camping while we're out there. We're going to hit a concert. I think we're, and then also visit some friends while we're up there too. Question like outdoor camping, you're a camper? I am taking a first attempt at camping. I have a very athletic and outdoorsy husband, so I'm being a trooper, but um yeah. <laughs> I went glamping this summer and it was not for me and it was not very glam. I would only glamp, and that is if it's in a four-star bed and breakfast. That's <laughs> that's, 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 that's how I feel too. But um, I didn't have yeah. Wi-Fi, so I was definitely roughing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't have Wi-Fi when you're glamping either. It's called glamping because you have running water and like a flushing toilet. It's like so rude. There's still bugs. Okay, so to be clear, we're glamping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be clear, that's but, a even, happy but just be warned, there are still bugs. No oh Wi-Fi, no okay. air conditioning, and bugs. I get, I get my gold star as a wife award then. 
we had a little frog in between your tent there's like a screen and then like a flap that closes it if you want to like completely close your tent off and there was a little frog in between and so I like picked him up and I'm like playing with the frog and I think I've told this story on the podcast before but like Jesse was like don't touch the frog that's how you get warts and I'm like the fuck are you talking about he's like my mom told me I'm like your mom's a fucking liar because she didn't want you to play with frogs when you were a little kid frogs don't give you warts he there's that wiring though there's that wiring from when you're a kid tie it all together I guess I'm the type of person that like I question everything that you tell me so like I was talking to my mom the other day and I was like well no one ever taught me how to do this and she's like no one ever taught you how to do anything you didn't need to be taught because you just fucking went and figured it out I question literally everything so if someone told me that frogs gave you warts I'd rub a frog all over my body and check like literally I don't know what my problem is but I digress. Um, how did we get here? I don't know how we got here. Glamping, travel, frogs. frogs. Oh, yeah. Well, we splurge on. What yeah. do you guys splurge on? Yes. I splurge on travel too a lot. I splurge on. Well, what my, do I not splurge my on? My traveling isn't like. Danny, you should know this. I splurge on way too many things. <laughs> I need to stop splurging. Splurging's great. I mean, if it's in that 30%, though, it's fine. I was just like, she's talking about feeling guilty about buying stuff. And I'm like, God, when was the last time I felt guilty about buying anything? I should probably feel guilty more. I don't feel guilty only because I usually save for what I want. Yeah. So like once I get there, then I'm like, okay, like this is what it was for. Ugh. And then if I don't need to do it anymore, like if it's like, I, I don't know, I saved for like a pair of shoes that I wanted and then I'm like, uh, I don't really need to. Then I just keep it in my savings, you know? Right. But what I like to splurge on is like, uh, I have a Rottweiler. His name is Chico Mendez. That's a big one for Chico. me too. Yeah. So like we make sure that we can go somewhere where uh, he's welcome. So like it's always like a little pricier if they allow the big dogs and like all that. Yeah. So we're like, we're spending five nights. I don't give a fuck. And that dog is coming with. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Same, same with me. I was at dinner the other night with my husband and I'm like, oh, can I get the kids burger and fries to go for my son? And they're like, how old is your son? I'm like, actually, he's a dog. And <laughs> here's a picture. <laughs> so embarrassing. But yeah, dogs are well, like their family. Thanks into my personal life. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> their family. But yeah, my, my dog, dog would be so happy if I gave them human food. I know. Um, all right. So I want to talk about investments because... Like, Ugh. what the fuck, man? It's so confusing for you me. You know, I just started dabbling in investing. In what? Um, so Danny slash Invibed recommended, um, do I use Wealthfront or Betterment? I think I use Wealthfront. Because Wealthfront, yeah. here's the thing. Technically, I'm in a position where I could go find a CFA and cut them a check for, you know, whatever, how much. But the idea of that makes me want to vomit. So like I need to take baby steps to the point before. So what do I use? Wealthfront. So Wealthfront, you can do like, it's almost like a baby investment account. I don't even really know how it works. I just know you told me to do that. And so I did it and I set it up and now I have like, I don't know, $7,500 in my investments. It makes me feel like really fancy. But like, what, like how, how does one begin to educate themselves on investing money? Mm-hmm. So also a fantastic question. I think for you or our clients, set up a set up a call and we can even do a screen share and walk you through everything so you understand what you have, how it applies to you. I think having somebody that gets it sit down and explain it to you is probably the best way because then you can ask questions. A lot of right. questions tend to pop up as you're learning about investing. I think the key things to know about investing are 
you know, one, you have to do it in order to reach any of your long-term financial goals. And that's just because if you look at inflation, which is how much prices go up, so it's the same reason like a, b- a bottle of Gatorade when I was a kid is was three times cheaper than, than it is now. Yeah. Um, the price of every single thing you buy is going up by about 3% on average every year. If you look at like the early 1900s through now, that's about what it's been. Um, if you look at your savings account or any savings account now, you were just saying, Abby, how like the interest rate's going down and down and it's below 2%. Yeah, right now, if you're at a fantastic bank that's a high yield savings account, maybe you're getting like close to 2%. If you're in a big name bank or a checking account, you're probably earning 0% on your money. So if you stay on that path, the price of everything you're buying is going up at a faster rate than you're earning on your money. So that's where like the old wisdom of keep your money under the mattress. No, you lose your purchasing power. Like, so that's what, that's the reason why you invest. And that's the reason why you see like, again, with the rich get richer, most of their money is in investments. So to back up, first thing, acknowledge that like you have to do this and the earlier you do it, the better. Cause then, which brings me to point two, time is like your biggest asset. And I know Kristen that you had on before is talking about compounding the eighth wonder of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so true. The earlier you start, the better. And it just, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to set you up for so much success in the future. So no, you have to do it. No, to start as early as possible. And then thirdly, to educate yourself. Um, I would say that, I mean, reading up as much as you can helps, but like for most people investing, it's, it's such a challenging thing, right? It's, I used to do it. There are people that it's their full-time job to know the ins and outs of investing. And there are still so many nuances and approaches you can take that it can get really challenging. The best thing to know is that there are companies like Wealthfront and Betterment that make it super easy and they just do all of the work for you. So I would say research on those. I think Betterment and Wealthfront are two of the most well-known ones that have a solid track record. They manage billions of dollars. Start on their blogs and read about their approach and how they do it and why. Mm-hmm. is a really good place and start with a small amount of money and just start getting used to like watching it, seeing what it does and research on what, what they're invested in. And that's, that's a good way to, to really get your feet wet. In terms of like, once you have a lot of money, um, I know Kristen also mentioned Stash Wealth. Um, they're friends of us too. They're amazing. They manage money for high earners, not rich yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Henry's is, is where they go. Uh, a lot of our clients have graduated and kind of moved on to Henry's, Stash Wealth for money hi. management. What was it? Earners not rich yet. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're great. Stash Wealth. Yeah. They're, they're, they do a fantastic job. They're one of the few financial advisors that like specifically want to work with people who don't have millions of dollars. It's like they're social mission and they do a very good job and they have an investment focus. So once you're ready to shift gears to like, I have a lot of money to invest and I want somebody to help me with it. Like they're a very good uh, places to go. Um, I feel like is, is there besides the fact that like you have to hit your threshold of savings, whatever your personal threshold is, Um, is, and then like, I guess, do you recommend simultaneously or simultaneously saving to invest slash for your emergency or your goals or whatever, or do you recommend hitting one, um, number for your like emergency savings, whatever fund, and then starting to save for investment because you can't like invest, like, I mean, you can invest $10 or whatever, Mm -hmm. but like, is that what you should be doing? Or should you, should you save up a few thousand and invest that? 
Yeah. So I, I think that for investing, I always like to have our clients start with a very small amount, even if it's like $10 a month. And most of the robo advisors that are out there, like the better, like Betterment will let you do that. The reason why is because investing can be, there's just this stigma, especially our generation lived to, through 2008. We saw people leave their homes. We saw the stock market crash. Mm-hmm. So there's like this fear with investing and, and what mm-hmm. happens. And if you look at individuals and why they struggle with investing, it's emotional decisions. And it's because they're not, you know, well-versed in how markets work and they haven't had the education that they frankly, you know, deserve to have gotten in school. Mm. So um, I always say like start earlier and with small amounts, that way you can observe market swings and see what happens before you have so much skin in the game that it's like, oh, the market's down this many points today. My money's like, you know, yeah. You, you want to start before it can materially affect you so you get an understanding. And then by the time you have a lot of money, you're like, oh, cool. I get how this works. I've, I've been through a, you know, a market correction before. I know how this goes. Mm, right. So at the end of the day, markets are cyclical. They go up, they go down. Um, there are big swings, but it nets out to about 10% increase per year. Like if you look at the S&P 500. So it's, think of it as a roller coaster. It can be a big roller coaster, but typically it's, you know, it's going up over time. And then um, really quick question about one more about investment. So I know like when I set up like my 401k and also when I set up this um, robo cop or whatever you called it. Robo cop. <laughs> robo, robo advisor. Robo advisor. Oh, actually, I was mesmerized when she said that because I was like, it is a robo advisor. It um, is, yes. You yeah. choose like conservative, moderate or like aggressive, right? Yeah. So what is that? Like, I chose aggressive because someone once told me that when you have like a lot of time, meaning like I'm relatively young, I won't retire for however many years, um, you have like more time to like make money back that you might have lost in a downward time of the economy. Mm -hmm. But what is generally speaking, like, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean when you choose a conservative portfolio over an aggressive portfolio? Yeah, so, such a good question. So what they're, what they're at trying to figure out is your risk tolerance. So like how much risk can you afford to take on? And looking at something like a 401k, I, you're absolutely right. Typically, the longer the time horizon until you need the money, the more risk you can take. And by risk, I want you to think like market swings up and down. So you're in like stocks, you can go up 29% like last year, you can go down 37% like right after the financial crisis. Just really, the, the idea is high risk, high reward, mm-hmm. um, lower risk, lower reward. Mm-hmm. So what you'll see with something like a, for, a 401k or a high risk tolerance if you're younger is that you're going to see a lot more swings, but ultimately like the amount of money that you make over a long period of time will be higher. And you can afford to do that because the idea is your money will be invested from now until 65 or later when you retire. So you can afford to, you know, to live through those market swings. Whereas a more conservative profile would be, let's say I'm 60 and I want to retire in five years. The last thing I want is all my money is invested. I'm ready to get that, you know, that beach house in Florida or that condo in Florida. Mm -hmm. And then we have another 2008 situation and markets tank like 37%. And the million dollars I thought that I had saved for retirement is now like around 600,000 and I'm terrified. So what you see over time with retirement accounts is the closer you get to that retirement age, the more they're going to take risk off the table and buy stuff that's like safer. So they sell the stocks that are riskier 
they buy bonds that are more conservative and like there's less market fluctuation because they want you to know that your money that you want need to be there will be there when you need it. Yeah. And the same goes outside of retirement. So if you have a goal to buy a home in 10 years, you want to make sure that money is there for your down payment 10 years from now. So as you get closer to that goal and when you'll need the money, you take you 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 get more conservative with your risk tolerance, meaning there's less risk in your portfolio. Not going to grow as quickly, but the money is going to be there when you need yeah, it. Is when you need it. What to think about when you think about a more conservative allocation? Does that does that answer your question? Yes, I have a million more questions. Do you want to keep talking about investment, or do you want to talk about savings? I want to talk about savings. Okay, go. So I want to <laughs> slide into savings only because um, if your thoughts, if you could tell people one thing about saving, what would it be? Automate it. Yeah. Okay. Two words. <laughs> Automate it. What would you say is the person's biggest issue when it comes to saving? Again, I think it's the psychology. I think if you don't identify something that you're saving for that's like a little bit sexier than spending it, then you're yeah. not going to save. Yeah. Uh, what would you suggest to people living together and saving in a joint account? I love that idea. Um, we tell our, there are three there are three approaches to take as a couple to manage your money. Um, different pros and cons for each, uh, typically. But overall, a joint account for joint goals is a good idea. Okay. Do you recommend you also have separate accounts? Yeah. So there's, I guess if we want to really get into this, three approaches that we see couples take with money. The first is like, let's keep everything separate. Um, we divvy up the bills. So you pay the mortgage, I'll pay for childcare. Like, let's just completely separate, have all separate accounts. Nothing is joint. Um, you see that with people who are in the early stage of their relationship or people that are like more really complex, like blended families and like both parties have kids. That's just... Mm -hmm gives you the maximum amount of control over your own individual situation yeah. or, and you're not ready to join quite yet. So that's one approach. Um, it also, it requires, um, yeah, the maximum control is good, but it's hard to feel like you're on the same team without those joint accounts and that joint progress. Yeah. The second approach you can take is everything joint all day. Yours, what's yours is mine. Like all of our accounts are joints. The pro of that is you have like full trend, like you have, united goals, like you're on the same page, your communication is there. The cons are you have zero privacy. Like you're, again, like if your spending values aren't aligned, it's really, really hard to get to like a lot of conflict can pop up. You see this with couples who have been together for a really long time. Usually like they, are, they have a family and kids and like they're really united where they're like, let's just combine everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third approach, which is my favorite, I will probably use this approach forever. I think it's, it's the best of both worlds. Like the yours, mine and ours or like smooth blend, we call it. You've got all of your joint accounts for like the stuff you do together. So there's like your household bills, all the goals that you have together, it's all joint. But then you have your own separate money for like your stuff. So like- That's where I'm at. Yeah, like so many clients, like I don't want my, my boyfriend or my husband to know how much I spend getting my hair done. Like that's yeah. where the private accounts come in. Nobody has yeah. to know. Yeah. And then Wait, you just- Y'all can't tell me nothing about getting my, whatever, I'm, I'm, I buy so much Lululemon, John would pass out yeah. if he knew, or if he knew I was spending his money. But for the most part, it's like, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same, <laughs> same exact. I'm like, I did just spend a hundred dollars on a pair of workout pants, but you cannot spend $20 to get your haircut. I will kill you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So not. number three is for you guys. And, and you know, <laughs> that's the best one. Hard on number three. Um, 
you have more questions. Lisa um, has a lot of questions about savings. I love, I love, love saving, saving money. Yeah, love savings. Yeah, it's a, but it's you a should passion maybe start investing your money. I well, I know, but I just we'll have. To if talk you decide to point, open a Betterment account, tell me because I'll send you a referral link. Oh, so you can get money off me. You get money off of me too. Whoa. We both get money. Oh my God. It's win, win, win. Um. So as you know, before I said I stalked your articles. So what are some of the best ways to save money? Yeah. So going back, going back to automating it, I think that's the best thing. This usually psychologically and all back to psychology again, the second we see that money hit our accounts, it's like, so it's, you know, it's that phrase, money's burning a hole in your pocket. Like mm-hmm. it, you're ready to spend it. Yeah. Most people actually are already spending their paycheck before it even hits their account. Mm-hmm. For real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you never see it, then you can't even yeah. So set up a savings account somewhere you don't normally bank. Like if you bank at Chase, put this at like Ally Bank or like right, another bank. Like that's to the, yeah. Like pull yeah. money from one to the other. Exactly. Or maybe you have an investment account, like a Wealthfront or Betterment. Set those, um, set up automatic transfers every payday so that the second you get paid, boom, it's in those accounts. Yeah. It is gone. And like, don't even look at them. That's not even your money to spend. Yeah. And then that's, yeah, that's one way. And then also segment your account. So one of the things we do with our clients is like, we'll set up their account structure so that every account has a job. So your spending money account on payday, you're transferring that 30% exactly into that account. If there's not any more money left in that account, then you're done. Like, and you, so yeah, segmenting your accounts and setting them up where it is easy for you to manage is another hack that's really helpful. Oh, I love that idea. I want to do that eventually. It takes a lot of work though. It um, does, but it's well worth it. <laughs> well, I definitely need to schedule a call with you now because it's like, I just have so many things on my mind. Um, yes, but I'm do curious, it. Like, where do you see the financial space shifting to? And the reason I ask this is because I feel like less people in our generation are like buying real estate and like, is student loan forgiveness ever going to be a fucking thing? So I'm just wondering, like, what do you think is going to happen in the next few years that might change the way that we see our money or spend our money or whatever? Yeah. So this is, you know, kind of, it's kind of sad just the way where things are headed. It's a big part of why I started this company. Um, we've had it rougher than like any other generation and it's, it's going to continue to be rough. I think we have the obvious stuff like, you know, the cost of education climbing is hard. We all have student loans. Um, you also have a situation with like the rising cost of living. Most jobs are in major cities. It's expensive. Um, no, wages how ha- people live in the city and you're in, you're in the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I'm like, it's like a, a studio bedroom no or studio room no doorman and you have to like pick the lock to get in is like twelve two thousand dollars oh like, yeah it's insane you find an apartment for two thousand dollars in manhattan not for one where you can pick the lock the kind <laughs> you have to share bathrooms with like a total stranger yeah down the hall and you yeah, have shower yeah, shoes yeah, yeah. Like, what? wear shower shoes oh my, <laughs> oh my god we should stop because i know people like that Sorry. Yeah, no, but it's, that's, that's the world we live in. It's crazy. Like back in the day, you had all these towns, there were jobs in town. Like now you have just this mass concentration of people, the cities yeah. in a way that we've never seen before. And it's expensive. We've got a national deficit that's now more than $70,000 per US citizen, Jeez. which is like more than average student loan balances. Right. Somebody's yeah. going to have to pay that back. Like we yeah. owe that money. 
Um, And then we have a healthcare system that's just a hot mess. And we're all about to have like aging parents that are not adequately, like a lot of them don't have enough money to pay for their healthcare as as things happen. So, I mean, the future is, frankly, it's like kind of terrifying. And that's why it's so important to just take control of your finances. Like, you know, maybe it's going to become maybe like you didn't, you know, save for yourself and like, that's fine. But what about when it's like mom and dad, you know? Um, what about like what the future looks like? So I think, um, yeah, I think it's it's scary, but like the best thing you can do is make sure you're okay and like start saving and preparing for it now. I know it's a gloom outlook, but that is, it's realistic for it. I'm wondering, this is like such a ridiculous question, but like sometimes I legit do think about like handmaid's tale type situations where like we, if our, all of our money is in a bank or investments or assets that aren't liquid. Literally, what if there is like an apocalyptic type situation? Oh my God. I'm not kidding. Like, you know, in Handmaid's Tale where they just like all women, like they freeze everyone's bank accounts and it all becomes their husband's money or their next of kin that's a male's money. Mm-hmm. Like, do you recommend, this is a serious question, like having like a thousand dollars cash, like in a safe in your house somewhere or something like that. Yeah. Like, what the fuck do you do in a situ in a situation like that? Yeah. Is I cash guess. even gonna be a thing? Are we gonna need like gold pellets? Like gold <laughs> pellets. Abby is so against cash. Like one time we went to dinner I hate cash. and I was like, here, can you put on your card? I have cash. And she I was like then almost me. spit on me. She's I did like, not almost how dare me. you. I don't like cash. I feel like because you know why? Money. I lose it. I always That's insane. Lose it. Isn't that fucking insane? <laughs> I loses it. I just I either I don't use it or I lose it or I find it six months later in a purse somewhere. I just, I don't like it. It's not for me. But really though, should I have money on hand, not to buy coffee with, but in case shit hits the fan? Yeah. I, I think that's always, it's always a good idea to just have some cash on you. It's something I personally do for a number of reasons, but that, that could be one of them. And this has happened in history before. I mean, back, you know, back in the early 1900s, there have been runs on the bank, like back before, like money was tied to gold. Bitch, I use and- cash. What <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you think I'm crazy for being like a doomsday prepper. But no, no, this has happened in, this has happened in history. Like back in the day, you could exchange your cash for gold. We used to be like money used to be tied to gold. Yeah. And there was a point in history where like banks were shut down because there was a financial crisis and the banks didn't have enough gold to exchange for money. Um, so the banks just shut. And, and like you couldn't get If your money is in a bank, you're just fucked. Yeah, no. So I don't think your concerns are, are they're definitely warranted. I mean, this has happened in US history before. Um, I, I think the question is like, so it's not a bad idea to have some money, some cash on you, just given the precedent in history. Now it's a little different because we're not tied to gold. Like, you know, the, the Fed can Except print money. this one with the fucking pellets over here. <laughs> um, I mean, so, I don't know. That's, that was literally the reference because I was like gold bars. Like what is, what is worth, what is going to be worth money if money is not worth money? But the, and that's the question. Then we have much bigger problems. So like, right, for sure. if money is not worth something, and like, mm-hmm. our goal bar is going to be like, what's what's the implied yeah. value? Of any of those things. Um, but you did see around. I can tell you anecdotally, like around two thousand eight, when like that was the last financial big financial crisis we had. Were a lot of multimillionaires like getting gold bars and like yes. But here's the thing about gold, like they're stored in a vault somewhere that's very far from your home. It's like, can you even access the gold bars? So like, there's not, I mean, it's- Okay, next, my next house is going <laughs> to yeah. have a vault in it. <laughs> a vault with gold. And cash, legit. That's, this is my new goal. This is my <laughs> new why. I'm so happy for you. I can't, I'm like terrified. 
of, I don't even know. Okay. So let's, so we'll wrap it up. Yeah. But, but before we, so we do a 73 questions, like Vogue 73 questions, but we only Ooh, have Oh, I five. love that. Yeah. Okay. But only before, five. So we're not here for four But before days. we start the five questions, I do want to ask, like, just give us a little out of office, self-care. What do you do for you type of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I work out every single day. Yeah, um, I, I do. I do a combination. So I'll do everything from yoga to strength training to boxing. Like I, I try to mix it up. Um, I find that to have mental clarity and not be a crazy ball of stress, just running a company, I have to get that physical activity in or else what I'm like- What sign are you if you don't want me asking? I'm a Leo. Okay. Yeah. So I have to have that. Um, mm-hmm. I journal almost every day as well. Um, and then I also, I journal and I meditate just to get, you know, that mental clarity, I think, are really big things I, I do for self care as well. And I find if I do those three, then I'm do you usually do them all in the morning. Is that part of your morning routine? It depends. So my workouts can be any time of the day. I try to. Are you? Yeah, that's the one perk of, of running a company is I can you know kind of pick when I work out. So also, you. my schedule is a little crazy. So sometimes it's out of necessity. Like the days, you know, um, the days can get that way. Um, but the journaling, journaling is usually whenever I'm feeling something, I'll do it. So if I ever get strong emotion that comes in and I'm like trying to process it, like writing it, putting it on the page wow. is what does wonders for me. And then meditation, I'll either do, I try to start my day off of, off with it. Or if it's like before a presentation or something big, I'll also do like a quick one just to get in the right headspace. You do like a guided meditation or? Yeah, I'll just use um, headspace. Yeah. Okay, got it. Super got simple. It. I just started meditating. I'm still like kind of losing my virginity a little bit. It's hard. It's hard. I hated it for like the first two months. No, I don't like a guided meditation. I like to do like a transcendental meditation. Well, it's just what works for me. Guided meditations. I start thinking about other shit and like, I'm so far gone. It's like not even That's, worth meditating. You're stressed, stressed over meditating. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. It worked for you right away. It took me like a while to get into it. I had some friends that were like politely nudging me and kind of urging me to do it, but I didn't really feel the effects of it and like get comfortable with it for probably about two months in I did. That's awesome that you stuck with it because that's like rare where if you were like, didn't happen the first time, now I'm out. Yeah, you know? I'm still trying to get in the rhythm. Like I, my goal is to do it twice a day, every day, but sometimes oh, it just doesn't happen and I try not to beat myself up about it. But I started after I went to Costa Rica for a yoga retreat and I don't really even know. I just felt like called to do it. So I did the Ziva method online training and it was like a 15 day course. And then I've kind of like stuck with it ever since. I also think that there's something about making an investment in yourself. So that mm. course was an investment. Like it was more expensive than it should have been. But because I spent that money, I feel like I owe it to myself to continue to do it. Do you know mm. what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, also, have you ever done Tone House? I've never done Tone House. No. Don't do it. No. No, I was just wondering because you like to work out and you live in the city. I, I don't I think do there it. are multiple stu- I don't know if there are multiple studios. The one I went to was on thirty first and between Park and Madison. Okay. It's it's the studio was made for professional athletes. So like NFL. Oh, players. I've heard of this place. And so then they introduced a what they fucking call intro intermediate class, which is bullshit. Cause I work out every fucking day and I nearly died 925 calories later. My oh. assistant barfed. His boyfriend is popping inhalers. Like it's going out of style with before the warm up was over. Like it's, it was a, that's insane. No, I services on my phone when I left. I said, Jesse, watch me. If I start stop moving, it's because I died. 
Oh my God. I, funny enough, I know exactly the place you're talking about. And one of my former colleagues who like just got out of college and played college soccer was like, this is the best workout. And then oh. I, so now, oh, now I know me to do it again on Wednesday. And I'm like, she's going to go. Am I, I probably am going to go. You're going to go. <laughs> Glutton for punishment. All right. Oh, five questions. Beach, vacation, or mountains? Beach. Favorite cocktail? I don't drink that much hard alcohol, actually. Um, what happened pr- last night then? <laughs> so I'm the biggest lightweight ever now. Um, I, <laughs> I've got, I got very into just like beer recently or wine I'll do, but I can't do hard. When I was younger, I did so okay, much. Okay, favorite yeah. alcoholic beverage of choice? Ooh, probably like a Pinot, Pinot Noir, red okay, wine. Very nice. True or false, if you don't use it, do you lose it? Well, you can save it for later. <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> oh, we already know the answer to this one. Favorite stress reliever? Oh, boxing. No, nothing gets you de-stressed at the end of the day, like uh, hitting something repeatedly for an hour. Where do you box? I have gone to um, UFC gym for a while, actually. Nice. Yeah. You should try grit boxing. Where's the one we really? went to? The red one with the overthrow. Overthrow. overthrow on in so uh, NoHo. Oh, nice. Okay. Overthrow is like really grungy though. Like it's fucking dirty and it smells and it's like, but it's a really good workout. I kind of like that. I used to go to Gleason's in Brooklyn, which is like, it's gross, but it's just like such a gritty boxing gym that like, I feel like kind of a badass going there. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like I, I go for the, the badass vibes. Yeah. But I lived, was lived on top of a, too. yeah, I lived on top of a UFC. So it was like, I just, I had no excuse so not easy. to go. I just went downstairs. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. So our last and our favorite question what is your vibe? Ooh. <laughs> your <ring laughs> that's is beautiful, a re- by the way. You guys can't say it, but like she just, that's your dream ring. That is my dream ring. Your ring is beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. What is my overall vibe? Um, my husband would say intense, but. Um, yeah, why not? But no, I, um, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say passionate. Passionate. That's a better way of saying intense. I I like that. Intense is like I get called intense a lot too, and I feel like it's from people that just get get me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I'd say passionate's probably a very good one. Yeah. Well, it's nice to like watch you straight up light up about. I mean, who doesn't about money? But like, it's nice because you're so into it, and that you can explain it well. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is like, it's so easy to get um, intimidated by finances because typically the people that are teaching you about finances are speaking language that you don't, as a civilian, might not understand. Right. And you make it very digestible and simple. And we appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners do too. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Where can everyone find you? You can find uh, my company Invived at invived.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram as well. And then I'm on Instagram as Danny Pascarella. Um, that's my personal handle. I've actually been on an inter- on a social media cleanse though. So I will be back uh, next month online. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. Um, and we'll link all of that stuff in the show notes. That's right. Well, this was so fun. Thank you so much. Oh, thank and you I for having me. If anybody has any anything about money that they sign up for Invived because it's just such a great, Um, investment in yourself, your financial wellness. Absolutely. 